So it's very exciting. And as you can see behind me, we are in a brand new series. Kicked off last week by Mark himself as we started to ask this question, are you crazy? Because in this time, we want to find faith in the season where fear seems to be reigning. And actually, we're asking this question that's been asked of me many times. Am I crazy for some of the things that I've done, some of the things I've said? But we're not saying it in a condemning way. We're saying that this is the, the language and posture of faith that needs to take hold of our hearts that other people might say, despite the circumstances around us, we're responding to a different truth. Because you see, faith ultimately is not a denial of the facts. It's actually a recognition of the superior fact, the superior fact that God's word trumps everything else that we see. So we want to call you to this journey and say, life changes. You are a crazy people. At this time, we do not have to respond with the current of the world, but we actually can jump in with faith to what God is calling us to do. Because you see, faith looks like something. It's not an ethereal concept. It's not just an idea or theoretical uh, understanding. It looks like something. And as we navigate our way through the, the passage of Hebrews 11, stopping off at various characters and their narratives and stories and finding faith for our hearts, we'll realize that faith looks like something. By faith, Noah built. By faith, Abraham obeyed and left. By faith, Joshua encircled. And by faith, Isaac reached. And I can go on and on, but faith looks like something. And I want it to start to look like something in your life and in my life so that when people look at us, they'll say, are you crazy? And we'll be able to respond, no, we're not, but we're just trusting an incredible God who is incredibly faithful. So with that in mind, I love you if you've got your Bible with you. Why don't you turn to Hebrews chapter 11. I'll be reading from the New Living Translation. Hebrews 11 verse 8, it goes like this. It was by faith that Abraham obeyed when God called him to leave home and go to another land that God would give him as his inheritance. He went without knowing where he was going and even when he reached the land God promised him, he lived there by faith. Why don't we pray before we get stuck into the scripture together? Jesus, as we come and center ourselves around your word, anchor our hearts around your spoken and written word to our hearts in this moment, I, I want to acknowledge that you are all beautiful, all glorious and all powerful to us. Now I thank you in this moment, Jesus, as we, as we come with faith, would faith start to stir up bubble up and rise up in every single heart, in every single home scattered around our city, our country, our world right now, would your faith become the anthem of our hearts? And would you do this by the powerful and beautiful name of Jesus? Amen. You see, as I read Hebrews 11 and we navigate our way through these almost bite-sized little chunks, headlines about these uh, heroes of our faith, Noah last week, Abraham this week, I want to say it's the Hebrews 11 is almost like what Facebook memories is to you and I. You see, Facebook memories, it comes up once a day or every few days, a photo from our past. And for me, the last seven years have been glorious, namely because of a lady named Fiona. She is just up my street cred. She's made out my photos look a whole lot more beautiful, not just in the way they're taken, but by the subject matter that's involved with them. And my life on Facebook memory value looks amazing. It's the Hebrews 11 version of my life. We see our wedding day. We see my proposal. We see uh, the incredible dates we've gone on. We see the birth of our children. We see all these amazing moments. And Facebook memories are beautiful because they look like Hebrews 11, these curated, beautiful, polished images that retell the glorious times that have gone by. But if you want the real story, the gory details of what was actually going on preceding all these beautiful photos, you just have to slip into the Facebook Messenger app. 
and started reading the messages between myself and Fiona. I did this the other day, and I don't tell you often to do this because it will bring some embarrassment to your heart. If anyone ever got to read these, I would be quite embarrassed because I realized at the time I thought the way I was wooing Fiona via the Facebook Messenger, I thought it was suave, I thought it was well-written, I thought the words I was writing would put Shakespeare and Wordsworth to shame. But as I read, re, reread them, I realized I was using way too many emoticons. I, I realized that I was spelling words wrong in my haste. I realized that I was sending multiple messengers, messages before she would reply to one. I realized that actually when she would reply, I would reply very quickly, but then she would delay and wait a while. And as I reread them, I realized that this story isn't as beautiful and poetic as it looks from the outside. There's a lot more gory than glory in this story. And that's just what Hebrews 11 is like. Hebrews 11 is the headline. But what I love is I read this headline, find faith about these characters. If you just flip to their backstory, you realize there's a whole lot more mess and trial and trouble in their stories. And I want to tell you, I love that. Because if I find faith in their mess and the way they navigated their journeys, because in these times of the coronavirus, in these times of lockdown, in these times of recession and job loss and fear, we need a faith that is able to have dirt on it. Faith that's able to work and find its faith in the mess of life. So I want to take you to this backstory, if that's all right, and help us in this conversation, the backstory, the, the mess of Abraham's life. And I'm titling this sermon, Fighting for Faith, because this is no walk in the park. These moments demand us to fight for our faith. So I want to give you three strategies, three strategies on how to fight for your faith at this time. And if your heart is feeling faint, if your faith is fragile, or if it's freaking out and falling apart, I want to tell you, lean in this moment because I believe God wants to speak faith into your situation. So number one, firstly, and I want us to own this together as a people. Number one, for you and I, this is deep from our heart, a truth of faith that we need to take to the bank and repeat and own in our hearts is this. My history does not determine my destiny. Come on, it's really good, and I think you need to say it where you are. If you're alone, shout it out your window. If you're on the, the chat forums on Facebook Live or on our church online, why don't you type in there, my history does not determine my destiny. If you've got someone next to you, say it in their ear. We've got to own this and believe it, because this is who we are. This has to go deep in our hearts, this truth. It has to really be the DNA of our existence. And I, I love this, because as we look at Hebrews 11, verse 8, we see this towering figure of Abraham. But let's go back a few pages or a, a few thousand years to Genesis chapter 12 and we get the backstory of this man named Abraham, the artist formerly known as Abram. And where we meet him, I want to ask this question, who was this man who would become the father of our faith? Well, firstly, we find out that his father was named Terah and, and that, or strikes, that name just strikes fear into my heart, but his father was an idol merchant. That means his dad made idols for every other religion known to man at that time. He was the macro or the pick and pay of idols. If you wanted an idol for this religion, a god of fertility, a god of agriculture, a god of marriage, a god of love, you went to Abraham's dad. He was the one-stop shop to find yourself an idol for any other religion. So this was a man who, was, who knew other religions. He was syncretic in his belief system. So Abraham grew, in this polythe grew up in this polytheistic culture and not only there, Abraham, so I can imagine when Abraham encounters the living God and, and he comes back to his dad and would have said, Dad, God spoke to me. His dad most likely would have said, which one? That was the background that he grew up in. Secondly, it wasn't just his background, it was his belief system as well. Because we, as we read in between the lines, we realize Abraham was a moon worshiper. 
a sun worshiper, a man who took his life, charted his course by what he saw in the stars. The equivalent would be that guy on your WhatsApp group on the street that you live on who is, who is anxiously reading the You magazine and won't venture out of his door uh, or do, he'll determine the steps of his day based on what the back of a You magazine stargazing uh, account will say. He's the guy who's into conspiracy theories, navigating the world by what he sees in the sky. This is Abraham, the father of our faith, before he encounters God. What's more, as we keep reading, we realize Abraham was a notorious liar. Lies dripped off his tongue. Keep going. He actually had a very liberal uh, relationship to his sexuality as he often pimped out his wife. He didn't feel it was, he didn't blush pimping her out to other men to advance his cause. He even, uh, at the drop of a hat, slept with his maidservant when it was convenient. You see, this is the man named Abraham. And what's even more, he's 75 years old when we meet him. And he and his wife, Sarai, at that time, who later became known as Sarah, they were barren. They could not have children. Now, I don't know what that does for us in our present day, but in that day, not having kids was a sign that, that the gods were against you, that actually you, you did not have success. If you did not have children, you did not have an inheritance laying for you, you did not have a future, you did not have any reward. So it was a sign of failure not having children. This is the father of our faith named Abraham. This is the man that God would identify himself with for years and generations ahead. He would identify himself by saying, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I'm the God of that guy with that history, that track record. I'm that man's God. And that puts such faith in my heart as I read those scriptures. What changed the story? What was the intersecting moment that changed his history from a flawed one to the God-designed destiny that God had for him? Well, I want to suggest that we find it in Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. The line just comes there, like just blazing forth. It says this, interrupting his story, the Lord said to Abram, or the Lord spoke to Abram. It's this divine intervention. The word of the Lord comes to Abram and hits him like a ton of bricks, intersects his story and changes the destiny of where he's going. You see, it's so amazing because actually when you read it and every scholar would agree that those, that little statement there, the Lord said to Abram, is the same language as used in Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1 is the creation account where God spoke and God said and spoke into nothingness and creation obeyed. It's the same work, word said again in Genesis chapter 12. And we find this incredible understanding that in this moment, it's this it's theological concept called ex nihilo. That's the Latin word for it, how God operates. He creates, His word creates out of nothing. It doesn't need another substance to create. It speaks and the nothingness obeys. It happened in creation and it happens here in Genesis 12 in humanity and God's relationship with Abraham and subsequently all of us is that He speaks into the nothingness of Abraham's track record and destiny erupts. And that's what the word of the Lord does. The word of the Lord comes and brings forth destiny. I love the fact that actually this is the power of the word, that actually nothing is always a setup for the impossible. It's so good, I need to say it again. Nothing is always a setup for the impossible. So maybe you're sitting at home and you say, I've got nothing left in the bank account. There's nothing in the job prospect for me. There's nothing left in my tank emotionally. There's nothing financially or, or spiritually in, at the moment where I am in the situation I face. I want to say again and again, nothing is perfect conditions for the Word of God to speak and bring about destiny. Will we be a people who start to listen and incline our ear to what the Word of the Lord is saying? You see, I've said it a million times and I'll never stop doing it, but the voice you listen to determines the future you walk into. The voice you listen to 
determines the future you walk into. Are you listening to your history? Are you listening to the voice of your failure? Are you listening to the voice of your shortcomings? Are you looking, listening to the voice of your addictions, your retrenchment, the, the voice of the naysayers, the circumstances around us? Or are you listening to the voice of the Lord? And just as I said, the voice of the Lord said to Abram, I want to say to you, sir, ma'am, the voice of the Lord is coming into your room right now and wanting to speak a different headline, a different narrative. No matter your history, there's a new destiny starting to form. I love this because actually I want to encourage us that we need to be a people who stop listening to bad news and start listening and reading and understanding and internalizing the good news. Because actually at this time, never, like never before, we need less information and more revelation. Information that will be overloading you, but revelation of that, that only comes from God, that is the only thing. Information can just keep you informed, but revelation will change your heart and lead you into the more. This is so true, and I, I want to keep reminding my own heart that warfare at this time, if we're going to fight for faith, warfare looks like us opening the Word of God and allowing His truth to shape and fashion our future. There's a story I'm reminded of that uh, I've come to, that's come to light recently for me. In 1989, in the country of Armenia, there was this incredible earthquake. An earthquake that shook the, 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 the country to its core, uh, crushing buildings and killing thousands upon thousands. But this grand narrative of the story finds an individualistic journey in it. And a story has come to light of a father in that city who had dropped off his son that day at school. And as he had dropped off his son at school, he had left his son with the traditional farewell greeting that he gave him saying, son, I'll be here at the end of close of school to pick you up. But that day, it was not gonna the course wasn't going to follow the, the familiar path. The earthquake happened, the father went home, but as the earthquake happened, he turned around and ran straight back to the school, pushing past people, pushing past the chaos to get to his son. When he arrived there, he found the school flattened. The earthquake had flattened it completely. And uh, parents were weeping, there was emergency services on the case, but he pushed all the way past them and made his tracer steps to where his son's classroom would be, and he started to dig and dig and dig through the rubble. And as he started to dig and the hours went by, people got more and more curious and started to pull him off his work saying, actually, no one's made it out alive, leave him. But he would not be dissuaded from his task. The fire chief came and tried to pull him away. The police officers came and tried to say, sir, you're causing a scene. But he would not be dissuaded. He kept on digging. The story goes on that he dug and dug until 38 hours had passed. The night had turned to day and the day was turning to night again. And as he kept digging off with one last brick he lifted, there was a pocket that had been secured, a pocket of air and space had been secured underneath all these bricks and all this devastation. And in that little, as that brick was lifted, he saw 13 pairs of eyes looking at him. And one of those, the, one of the voices rose from that little cavity saying, Dad, is that you? And there was his son, Amant. And as he said, Dad, is it you? He said, yes, my boy, it's me. His son said these words that echo in my heart and I pray into yours. His son said to the other 12 companions that were trapped in this little space for this time, he said to them, I told you my dad would come. I told you my dad would come. This boy was a boy who knew the promise of his father, I will come. And this is even a small picture of our heavenly father and his words to you and I. Our father is always faithful to his word because he cannot deny himself. What he is not a man that he will lie. What he speaks will come to pass. The word of the Lord came to Abram and the word of the Lord wants to come to your home, to your nothingness now, today. I, I hear destiny calling in this moment. I hear destiny calling and it sounds like the voice of the Lord. And I want to say it again, your history, 
does not determine your destiny. Where you've been doesn't determine where you're going. What you've done doesn't determine what He is doing. The voice of the Lord is coming. Will you give your ears to hear it? And it's time to fight for faith. Secondly, in this moment, my second understanding about faith and how we're going to fight for faith is, our, is that my expectation is His invitation. That's worth saying again as well. My expectation is His invitation. And we have to understand in this narrative what the will of the Lord is, the will of God. So it's been given a bad rap and people got a bit confused with it, but I want to bring some clarity to it, clarity to it as the scripture does. You see, it's amazing that we have to understand as we read Genesis 12 verse 1 to 3, worthwhile even opening the Bible to read it and see it so it smacks us right in the face. Genesis 12 says this, The Lord said to Abram, Leave your native country, your relatives, your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. In case you missed it, God's will is to bless you and to bless through you. God's will is to bless you and to bless through you. I don't know what image you've got of God. Maybe that's of a tight-fisted God an angry God, a distant God, a God with folded arms and a skull on his face, a thunderbolts and lightning, very, very frightening God. But that could not be further from the truth. According to scripture, again and again, we find the grand narrative of the will of God is one that wants to bless you. It is very so, it's so true that actually, again, the echoes of Genesis 1 and the creation story are found there, where in Genesis 1, God spoke, creation obeyed, and then God blessed humanity before their sin. He blessed them before they'd done anything. He blessed them, and he's doing the same with Abraham. But out of his nothing in this, he's speaking, and he's declaring his will, I want to bless you. It is so huge, because actually you see, God is rewriting human story, rewriting the history. Genesis 3 to Genesis 11, in the chaos of man's rebellion and sin, we find the word curse mentioned five times. From Genesis 3 to 11, you see the word curse five times. But in two verses, verse 2 and 3 of Genesis 12, you see the word bless five times. God is redeeming what the enemy has stolen. In one moment, he's saying that this is my will. Despite the circumstances, despite what's going on, my will is always to bless you. And we have to know this and understand it because it's so huge. You see, Hebrews 4 verse 2 says this. It says that the word of God, the word that's all powerful, the word that never returns void, the word that creates and sustains all things, the word of God had no effect to the Israelites. Why? Because they did not mix it with faith. They did not meet it with expectation. And this is massive because we have to understand that God's call is never small. But often... Our expectation is. God's call is never small, but so often our expectation is. You see, when we understand the will of God is to bless us, our job becomes we have to lift our expectation up to the will of God and not drag the will of God down to the level of our disappointments. Oof, that's good. That's good. We've got to lean into that. We have to be a people who lift our expectations up to the will of God. The will of God is to bless me, so I'm going to raise my hopes. I'm going to get my hopes up. I'm going to get my courage up to believe that that's His will, rather than dragging His will of the will down to what my disappointments have spoken to me. This is massive because actually when you see Abram's story, I love the mess and the goriness because actually Abram gets this in Genesis 12 at the age of 75. If you flip over a few pages, 24 years have gone. At the age of 99, he still has no children. 24 years have gone from the promise to the provision. 
but he's still holding, holding true to the course. He's still holding with expectations. Romans 4 tells us that he did not weaken the faith, but grew in faith in the waiting. And with that, as I read it, I want to remind you, maybe you're not seeing things happening. You're wishing, you're going, wondering what God's will is for your life at this time. And you've asked and you're wondering, where's the promise? I want to say just because it's delayed doesn't mean it's denied. Just because it's delayed doesn't mean it's denied. It's, it's almost this moment as I can say, if you don't know what God's doing, it's not that he's gone silent on you. To play on the, the, the Facebook messenger metaphor one more time, God, the text still appears at the top of the screen again and again. God is still typing. God is still typing. He's still rewriting a story. He hasn't given up. He has not forgotten. He is still typing. And we just have to wait in expectation what he is going to do and raise our expectations up to the will of God. A story jumps out of me in my remembrance. Mark chapter 2, an amazing narrative about a crippled man, a crippled man who uh, four friends take this crippled man to try and meet with Jesus. But Jesus is ministering in a home that is so crowded that they see this crowd and they, they realize they can't get in. They can't get to Jesus. Now, if I'm that crippled man, I see the crowd. I'm like, guys, we've really tried hard. Maybe we can come for the second service later or maybe we can find there's an online service we can come and catch up with what Jesus said and find out there. But these four friends, their faith is not dissuaded. They see the crowd, but then their eyes are lifted up and they see a different way in. And I want to remind you and say to you this time, business owners, I want to say to you parents, I want to say to you people applying for jobs, I want to say to you people losing courage in this moment, when you can't see a way through, it's time to go up. When you can't see a way through your chaos, it's time to go up. Lift your eyes, get your hopes up, start looking for a different way. God wants to have a different way. He wants to meet you in a different reality. As they went up, they went up onto the ceiling. So the crowds tried to stop them, but they would not be dissuaded. They got into the ceiling and a ceiling that would stop them. The limitations of their circumstance, the limitations of what they, and there was their natural ability stopped them but they would not be dissuaded and they start to rip through the ceiling and start to tear through the materials to get a glimpse of Jesus. But it didn't stop there. They lowered their friend to the very feet of Jesus. And as Jesus is about to pronounce healing and, and salvation over this man, their crippled friend, the voice of critics start to speak. And again, another obstacle, not just crowds, not just ceilings, but critics come to start to, to oppose the word of God, just to oppose the expectation that was rising in their hearts, to try to put doubt what is God's will in the, in the story. And I want to say, whenever faith starts to rise up, so too will opposition. When faith starts to rise up, so too will opposition. We only know David's story as, because of Goliath. We only know Moses' story because of the Egyptians. We only know Daniel's story because of the lion's den. Whenever faith rises, so too will opposition. So when you see opposition, see it as an opportunity for expectation to grow. This is huge for you and I because I remind us again and again, Jesus does not meet us at our point of need, but our point of faith. Jesus was in that room. He could have seen that crippled man across, out over the ceiling. He could have seen him out over the crowd. But Jesus doesn't go and push to the crowd to meet him. He waits for that man to come to him because he wants to meet him at his point of expectation. It's again the narrative of Scripture. There's a crowd. Zacchaeus climbs up onto a tree. Then Jesus spots him. There's a crowd. A woman with an issue of blood pushes through and apprehends Jesus. There's these moments where lepers come and they push past tradition and, and the fence of man to get hold of Jesus. Sir, man, let's fight for faith. Our expectation is his invitation. It's his will to bless you. Raise your expectation at this time. Thirdly and finally this, in this moment, I want to tell you, my history does not determine my destiny. My expectation is his invitation. And finally, my radical future demands my radical obedience. Why don't you write that in the chat right now? If you, if you believe that, own it for yourself. Write in your notebook. 
my radical future demands my radical obedience. You see, as I mentioned, there's the will of God, but as the saying goes, where there's a will, there's a way. And we just got to keep reading in Genesis 12 again, the, the backstory of our friend Abraham. It says this again, the Lord had said to Abraham, the word of the Lord. If you skip that rest of that verse, you go to verse two, it says, I'll make you into a great nation. I'll bless you five times. He declares the blessing of the Lord over Abraham and to the future generations, the rest of the world. But in between the word and his will, there's his way. In between his promise and his provision, there's his priority. In between his desire and his destiny, there's a decision. And too many people have a desire in their heart. They want a future. They want a different story. But they're unable to walk into their destiny because they're unable to make a decision. So what was that decision? What was the way that God, God was calling Abraham to that moment? He said, the Lord said to Abraham, leave your native country, your relatives, and your father's family, and go to the land I will show you. He said, God says to him, leave your family. Walk there, and he said, and leave them, and then go towards the, family, the, the land I'll show you. In this season, there's things God is calling us to walk away from, and things we're called to walk towards. Things that we've left on the shelf for a long time, but God with clarity is saying, I've grabbed your attention, I've put you in lockdown to, to shape your future, to not to inhibit your future, but to shape it in this moment for my word to come, for you to know my will, and for you to say, lay hold of it by, by walking in my ways. You see, what I love though, again, as I say, time and time in the sermon, there's more glory than glory in the story, because we, we realize, we go back to word, how Abraham finished, how he responded to this. The father of our faith, the one who God identifies himself with. We keep reading in verse four, it says, so Abram departed as the Lord had instructed and Lot went with him. A thing that I've underlined in my Bible and I cannot get away from. Abraham obeyed, but then there's a comment that says, and Lot went with him. We have to ask the question, who was Lot? You just have to read a few verses before and realize that Lot was Abraham's nephew. Lot was part of Abraham's father's family. But in verse 1 of this chapter, God said to him, leave your father's family. So Abram starts to go on the journey, but Lot went with him. You see, in the grand story of God, Lot should never have been in the car. Lot should not never have been wedged in between the putkos and the baggage for the journey ahead. Lot should never have been on that journey. And as a famous preacher once said, you and I similarly have a lot to get rid of. Yeah, you can laugh, you can mutter the uh, mirth to yourself, but it's so true that as Abraham took Lot on a journey that he should never have gone, and Lot caused Abraham more headaches than you could ever ask or imagine. He almost disqualified him time and time again for the destiny that God had, and so too are the things that we are dragging around us in this journey. I want to say this is where obedience finds feet. At this juncture, I want to say this is where faith finds its feet. It's in the response of obedience. It's in the response of obedience. You see, God does not meet us halfway. He's not a God who will compromise. He's not a God who comes on your terms. His ways are not our ways. He lays them before us and says, this is the way, will you walk in it? And I want to strongly preach into this moment. Partial obedience is disobedience. Circumstantial obedience is disobedience. Delayed obedience is disobedience. With my daughter, we are navigating and learning that she has to respond to my voice. She has to know my will, but then she has to obey that, that voice and that will in that moment. And that when we stand on the, on the edge of a road and I say, Olivia, do not go into the road. If she does partially, starts to put one foot or two feet into it, but doesn't go the whole way, that's partial obedience in her eyes. 
But in my eyes, that's disobedience. It's putting her in danger. When I say to Olivia, don't go on the road, but she, she looks around and says, but dad, there's no cars here. And she ventures into the road. That's circumstantial obedience. That's dictated by the circumstance rather than what I have decided as truth for her in that moment. And actually, delayed obedience, if she looks at me and does in slow motion or, things, or starts going, but then quickly retreats back to me, that's delayed obedience. It's disobedience. There's one form of obedience, and that's hearing, believing, and then obeying. Hearing the word of God, believing his will for us, and then obeying his way, walking in his ways. You see, I, I believe that anointing and authority is going to be released on the church like never before. Real authority and real anointing is going to come on the men and women who call on the name of God at this time like never before. But I want to tell you, it's not going to come through crazy strategies. It's not going to come through incredible feats of, of power. It's going to come through obedience. Obedience releases the anointing of God like nothing else. I, I, I want to say, are you ready, Life Changes Church, are you ready, sir, ma'am, for a season of crazy faith? We, we are going to be making decisions against the prevailing flow. When everyone else says this way, we're going to posture our hearts in that direction. By faith, Noah built. By faith, Abraham obeyed and left. By faith, Joshua encircled. By faith, Isaac reached. All of them, not knowing where they're going, not knowing what the promise was, they put their hearts into a different gear. I've said it again and again to my own heart. I'm not leaving this lockdown still locked down. I'm not carrying the things of my past into my future. I'm not allowing my history to determine my destiny. I'm not allowing the will of God to be dragged down to my disappointments. I'm not going to settle for partial or delayed or circumstantial obedience. There's a different story and there's a different headline that's being written over my life and your life. Will we just have ears to hear the voice of the Lord at this time? As we land, I want to say every story, no matter how dysfunctional, no matter how defeated, no matter how dead, can get a different headline. And the reason why I have confidence in this is that where Abraham failed to obey completely, where Abraham failed, where you and I have failed, where we have dropped the ball, where we have not risen up into the perfect obedience that is required, I want to tell you in this season, I want to remind us, and the good news of Jesus Christ is that we have a Savior who was our example, but who was our substitute, who came in perfect obedience to the Father. He was the word of the Father. He was the will of God to you and I. And he walked in the way and responded in obedience on our behalf. And I love the fact that on the cross, he became our history. He became our failure. He became our mess. He became our sin to the full extent. On the cross, he became our history. But in return, he became as the risen Lord, gave, he gave us our perfect faith. And he gave us our perfect obedience so that we can know the will of the Father. I, I, I want to say that as he died on the cross, Jesus closed the book on your history. He closed the book on my history. And he started to rewrite a different future, a different destiny for every single one of us. That's not determined by the hands of man. That's not determined by the seasons of our world. That's not determined by a virus. It's not determined by the pronouncements of politicians. It's determined by the word of the Lord. I love the fact that as Jesus died and laid in the tomb, the world thought that was done. But we know on Sunday, 
when the word of the Lord came to the nothingness of that tomb, just as it had done in creation and spoke, the word of the Lord spoke and creation obeyed, just as the, the word of the Lord came to the nothingness of Abram and his history and rewrote a destiny. The word of the Lord came to that empty, that tomb, and it spoke the word and said, stone move and the stone obeyed and Jesus came out the tomb and behind him we were raised to life with Christ. This is the good news of the gospel. And I want to say the same word that spoke to creation, that spoke to Abraham and spoke to that, that stone to move, speaking to you now. Will we respond in faith? I believe it's time to make decisions as we land this moment and get ready to respond and worship and receive the blessing of our Father for us in this moment and raise our expectations to that. I want us to close our eyes. I'm going to count to three and I want to believe that people are going to make decisions today but moving from desire to making decisions so we can walk into destiny. Sir, ma'am, with every eye closed, I want to say right now, wherever you find yourself, in your home, behind a computer screen, behind a cell phone, wherever you're watching this from right now, is faith into your heart. Obedience needs to match it and leap up right now. If you need to make a decision for the first time for Christ, I'm going to ask you on three to write in the chat right now, say, I receive Christ. Click on the, if you're on church online, click on that thing, I received Christ. We've got a team waiting to pray for you. Make that decision of faith. If you need to make a decision of faith, type an amen. Say amen right now in this moment. One, two, three. I thank you, Father. Would you right now come and speak destiny into people's hearts? Where history is shouted loudly, I pray your voice would shout out louder still. And where your, your grace would run further still, where destiny invades heart. Would expectations start to rise to the will of God? Would we stop dragging the will of God down to our disappointments? And finally, God, as you call us to obedience, would we say, yes, Lord, your servants are listening. And I pray, Father, would our faith start to find feet in this moment. I thank you, Father, right now for salvations. I thank you right now, God, for forgiveness to I thank you right now for obedience to leap out and the sons and daughters will never look the same again. It's time for us to fight for our faith. But we realize that Jesus, you have fought for us and you have won so that we can take up that victory cry and run into the inheritance you've got for us because our history does not determine our destiny. Our expectation is your invitation and radical futures are demanding radical obedience. And to that we say yes and amen.